This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences will often show us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. For a month with so few days, February is ginormously significant. First, it's Black History Month. February is also American Heart Month. Last Monday was World Cancer Day. The list goes on and on. And speaking of the heart, February also features Valentine's Day. Our guest today is Dr. Brian Drury. He is the author of a book, In My Hand, Cupid on Trial, What We Learn About Love When Loving Gets Tough. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been researching relationships, teaching about intimacy, and counseling couples for years. His theories and research studies have been published in prestigious academic journals. He's won numerous awards for their focus on spirituality and personal responsibility in relationships. Dr. Jory is a professor at Berry College, where he teaches about love intimacy and sexuality. He currently is the chair of the education department and the director of the family studies program. He is affiliated with the American Psychological Association, the International Family Therapy Association, and the Family Science Association of America, meaning he knows that about which he speaks. Brian, welcome to Perspectives. Happy to have you here. Singles Awareness Day, right? Candace, thank you for having me on. I love to talk about relationships. It's all I've ever done my entire life is counsel couples and study relationships and write about it. And I, it's a great life, actually. So, And though you are a professor at Barry College <clears throat> just up the road, what our audience should know is he's a Metro Atlanta native making his home just up the street from me and Marietta, and we didn't know it. So, yes. Love Marietta. Welcome, neighbors. Tell us about this book, Cupid on Trial. Why did you know that now was the time? And do the millennials even know what Cupid means? Oh, they do. They pick up on, you know, the, the, the title Cupid on Trial is interesting because when you hear that, Cupid on Trial, people relate to it very quickly, even millennials, because they realize, oh, it is a trial. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are tough. And, of course, what I wanted to show in the book was uh, that we learn about love. It's not just we fall in love, but we have to learn how to love. And particularly, we have to learn how to love ourselves. We have to learn how to love this particular person that we are, we say we love. And that's not always easy. It's a learning curve. And most people think, oh, if I just meet the right person and fall in love, then we'll hibernate for the rest of our lives. And we know that that might have been great in the 1900s, but in the 21st century, uh uh-uh. Yeah, there's no social media in the uh, 1900s. That's right. Now we have to navigate the waters of love. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who are single— uh, don't really even know how to do that. They don't know how to go about finding somebody that they could love. And you notice when I talk about love, I always talk about us loving someone else because that's what we have control over. Most people think, well, when you listen to people's conversations, it's like, oh, I love him. Does he love me? And, or does she love me? And it's all about how they're being treated is she treating me right? Is he treating me right? Well, the question I start out with in the book, on page one, which people tell me, well, one woman sent me a message and said, I started this book 
and I'm still on page one after a week because my husband and I just had conversations we have never had before. And the question is this, what would it be like to be in a relationship with you? Do you think about that? If you woke up tomorrow morning and suddenly you were transformed into your partner, the person you say you love, Mm -hmm. would you want to be that person? (laughs) Think about yourself. Are you a person who's easygoing? Are you a person who's communicating honestly and openly? Are you a person who takes the edges off the truth or presents yourself in ways you're not? Um, You know, I really do think, uh, I encourage readers throughout the book to reflect on that one question. I started doing research with uh, what we would call abusive men. And they were legitimately, some of them were. And you'd ask them questions like, "Um, I noticed that you know, I saw a picture of your wife and she had a bruise on her arm. How'd that happen? He's like, oh, well, you know, she she slipped and fell on the floor and I accidentally stepped on her. Uh, you know, that's a rationalization. It's like, wow, that's crazy. In other words, they would tend to minimize, rationalize. You couldn't really have a conversation with them because they weren't honest about themselves. So I had to stop the research, and I had a large grant. So I'm like, wow, how am I going to do research on guys that don't really tell the truth? So I spent about six months, and I studied moral philosophy, if you can believe that. And I got into this question about what would it be like to be yourself, something we should all be thinking about all the time, and some of us think more on that than others. And I started asking these men that question. I'm like, okay, Let's not even talk about that. Let's just talk about if you were going to be transformed into your partner, would you want to be yourself, her? And I found it was amazing. They could talk about that. In fact, what I say in the opening of the book is if you think you're easy to love, this is for the reader and your listeners, put the book down. You won't like it. (laughs) It's all about personal responsibility, honesty with yourself, and then being honest with the person you love. That's the theme of this book from cover to cover. Brian, is that because we have to do the work on ourselves to put ourselves in a position to be loved the way that we would like to be loved? Yes, and it's not easy to love yourself either. If you love yourself too much, we all know that's a word, narcissism, Um, selfishness, that's a problem in our culture. We have been taught to be selfish and uh, follow our self-interest. That's not bad to follow your self-interest. But in the book, I feature couples that, I, I have this term, when loving gets tough. And some of these couples start out really well, and then they run into things they weren't thinking about. For example, one of the characters finds that she has breast cancer, turns to her husband for love and support, and finds something other than love or support. Another couple in the book that's featured is People don't realize this, but about 1 in 1,500 people are born with what are called by the doctors ambiguous genitalia, meaning not sure if they're a boy or a girl at birth. 1 in 1,500, that means you probably know someone like this. And I've had, I teach about this in my classes at Berry College, and I have actually had students come to me and say, Dr. Jory, I never dreamed I would be in a class and we'd be talking about this. I'm one of those people. 
sometimes they want to be called intersex people, sometimes called middle sex people. Anyways, so one of the characters in the book is born this way. And uh, she has very devoted, caring parents. And she goes all the way to age 30, and she has never shared a romantic kiss with anyone. She has made up her mind she will be a cat lady for the rest of her life. As she says to her mom in the book, Mom, I couldn't find somebody to love me. When would I tell them about my condition? Would I like, (laughs) in the popcorn line at the cinema, I'll take a Coke. Oh, by the way, did I mention to you that when I was born, they didn't know if I was a boy or a girl. (laughs) It's like, wow. Um, She has to navigate the waters of love just like we do. And she did find somebody who loved her. But that's a quirky story. What What she brings to the readers is... We all have something about ourselves that we, f- we think makes us unlovable. Maybe it's our sh- shape of our body. Maybe it's our, you know, the slant of our nose. Maybe we think we're too old, too young, too stupid, too smart. Whatever it is, you know, uh, an illness, um, we have to navigate that kind of love for ourselves. If we really get to it, Very few people are that easy to love. You were very purposeful, Brian, in writing this book based upon your research, but you take us to a fictional town called Mm -hmm. Lovejoy, and you introduce us to these couples that represent what it is you want the reader to take away from your research and your study. Like we said a few moments ago, the Internet now is how people meet people. What happened? I do not take the view that social media is an evil villain in our lives. Okay, I, I Why? take I take a very different view. I think social media is one of the best things that's ever happened to people in relationships. But let's go back to what you were saying. It is the way you meet people in 2019 on social media. You don't meet them at church. I'm a church tender, and I w- I've been single for six years now, and I thought, well, maybe I'm going to meet somebody at church. And then months go by. Maybe I'm going to meet somebody at the gym because I hang out. Then months go by. Pretty soon, I realize the only way you can really know if a person's interested in a relationship is when you go on an app and you find out, oh, this is a person who's interested. You meet people face-to-face, but are they even interested in having a relationship? We know so little about people's private lives now because they share it all on social media. Now, that's, to me, not a good thing about social media. Because nobody ever has a bad day on social media. Right. We The bad parts of social media have to do with over-romanticizing or idealizing your life, per- showing the perfect family pictures and the perfect relationship pictures and you know, showing off the great parts of your body but blocking out the parts you don't like. Um, So we do present ourselves in a very... uh, Positive. We put our best foot forward, which we've always done. That's human in relationships. Of course, when does putting your best foot forward become deception and dishonesty? And there's plenty of that on the Internet. So I do think it's great because you can meet people now. used to be you were pretty much stuck 
meeting people at church in your town you grew up in or in the circles you run in if you live in a larger city like Atlanta. Um, now you can meet people from other countries. You can meet people from other parts of the continent, parts of the U.S. So I think the good thing is, you know, it, it gives us a wider choice of people that we can find to love. It also, for most couples, there was a survey done in 2014 that shows most couples say social media hasn't really affected their relationships. But if it has affected their relationships, 71% of those people said for the better. The, the real negatives, according to this Pew, which is a very reputable survey, the real negatives for most couples is she spends too much time on social media, you know, face buried in the phone when she could be talking to me. I see that in my students. It's like 25 of them sitting in a classroom, every face buried in a screen. They don't talk to the person next. I said to one of them one day, I'm like, so how do you make friends if your face is buried in a screen? She's like, Dr. Jory, we're talking to our friends <laughs> on social media. Those are their friends. Um, most couples use social media to share good things. They put pictures of themselves if they have children, pictures with the kids. Um, they share encouraging things about themselves and you can go on your partner's Facebook page or Insta page, Instagram, and see good things about them in ways that you, you know, may not appreciate just when they're, you know, getting up in the morning, that's when you see them. And then you see this amazing picture of them we share what we believe on these social media sites. So for the most part, I think it brings us together. Now, there are the problems. We already said one, presenting your false self. But of course, we always have done that in relationships at the beginning. One of the big changes in any relationship at the beginning is when do you become with the, get started with the real intimacy? Really saying what you feel, really what you believe. What Revealing you really your think. authentic self is what I think you're talking about. I would say that's an excellent phrase, Condice. I like that. I'm going to steal that phrase from you. You may have it. Okay. Yeah. When do you begin to get true intimacy? You start, you know, most relationships start with passion, which is a nice place to start. When you find somebody that, you know, makes you pause and stop and you feel something, wow. That's amazing. That's great. And you can, that'll carry you for quite a ways. But what you have to develop is, you know, the intimacy, like real sharing, like really getting close. I love it when people say in a relationship, you know, I've never told anybody this. You're the only person that really knows this. This is a bonding process with couples, and it's what holds you together. What I see as a big mistake is when people say, oh, we've been together, you know, like 10 years and we just don't have that passion anymore. It's like, well, no, of course you don't because you've been together 10 years. But have you developed that deep, compassionate love for one another because you know things about one another? If you don't develop the intimacy and the sharing and so on, it does get boring. And so when couples say, well, we kind of, you know, we, here's my phrase for it. You know, we reside together, but I feel like I'm living alone. 
which is a very sad that's place sad. to be in. Yeah. I'd say that's about the saddest place a person can be in, in life. Because at least if you're single, you have the hope, maybe I'm going to meet this person that's going to, you know, stir me up and bring meaning to my life. But yeah, when I'm waiting on him to ring my doorbell. I mean, the ring's going to go off one day and it's like, there's motion at your front door. And for me, there he's going to be. And my and friends all laugh at me and say, girl, you're crazy. And I know no, that I am. Just so. I, won't, I wouldn't say you are crazy, though, because you know something? I, I throw this question out all the time. Do you believe in love at first sight? And I do believe in love at first sight. Now, I'm not saying maybe in the first five minutes, but I do believe you can meet a person and genuinely know you have a connection to that person like you've never had with anyone else. And you never know when that's going to happen, Condis. I tell my students, you could walk out this classroom door, down the hall, up the stairs, and you could meet somebody that would rock your world like no one has ever rocked it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to run, rush off and run down the aisle with them. You should probably stick with them for a couple of years before you make that kind of commitment. But it does happen. And studies show that couples who fall in love quickly are just as happy 10 years later as couples who took a long time. To Let me ask you this, Brian, about intimacy and that move from passion to intimacy in a relationship. You just said that, okay, you, you meet somebody who rocks your world, but you probably want to take a couple of years to figure yes. out if indeed this really is what you think it is. Is is there a, a, a timetable, a timeline? Are we guilty because so many people who want to be in relationships move too quickly beyond get to know you to intimacy before maybe you're really ready to get there? How, well, do, you pay, how do you pace that, and well, what do you tell your folks about that? Well, part of intimacy is sexuality, and I do think that in our culture, people jump in the sack together way too fast. And once they do that, and it becomes about the sex and not about the really getting to know one another, and that speeds it up. Um, there are studies that show it's mostly women who would say, I think we had sex too early in the relationship. It's very common for women to feel that way. Uh, and uh, I, I do think it makes you feel a great attraction because sexuality and love and intimacy, like we're talking about, they are different. I do believe love and intimacy with real, genuine, honest, open sexuality not the hookup. Um, in that context, sexuality is fabulous. But once you, you know, ha have the quick hookup, and you say, okay, you know, well, the sex was great, so we must love each other. Yeah, you love the sex, but you know what's going to happen down the road. Um, we are guilty of, I think, speeding up the sex way too much. Now, I'm not putting anybody down. If you're just interested in a hookup. And that's honest, and that's what you want. And both of you want that, and you both know it. I say, I'm not in this world to judge anybody's lives. But if you're looking for a relationship that's going to develop, it doesn't hurt to put the sex on the back burner a little bit because it does ramp up not only the passion, but it gives the time to really get to know the person. Uh, if you can't talk to a person about what makes you feel good, about what turns you on, about what turns you off, about 
where you like to be touched and the kind of voice you like them to use and so on, you're probably not ready to be in the bed with them unless you just want a quick sex and that's it. So um, where do we go from here? Well, we're just about out of time, but I didn't want our time together to pass without giving you an opportunity to offer some counseling for folks who may be heartbroken going into this week and not at that place of forgiveness. Well, I have to say, um, there are many heartbroken people. And one of the messages of Cupid on Trial, my book, is we have to move on. And part of moving on is realizing there is no perfect life out there. People do make mistakes. You've made mistakes. Your partner's made mistakes. Part of long-term love is learning how to let go of the past. And what I see too often is people take the mistakes and amplify them instead of minimizing them and say, okay, one of the lines in the book is, you know, he made a mistake, but that doesn't mean he is a mistake. And we do make that thing. We say, okay, he, he screwed up. Therefore, this was all, you know, we're ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Um, so you have to learn to accept yourself, be compassionate with yourself, love yourself, but also take that feeling that you have for yourself and transfer it onto your partner. Accept they're good. One of the things I always ask couples when I start counseling with them in the first session is I want to take quite a bit of time in this session to talk about what's going right. What is your partner doing well? Oh, boy, does that fly into the face of their visceral, no, 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 we want to talk about the problems. I'm like, well, you've already been thinking about the problems a lot. Let's think about what they're doing good, well, what's working. They're not used to that. We, we, have, we live in a culture of victims, and people lock on to the negatives really quickly. And I believe my own personal, and I've learned this over the years from my, the couples I counsel, you have to have a spiritual, positive approach to have a successful relationship. Love is more than just a negotiation like you have at Publix or Kroger or Target or on Amazon. It's not about, okay, you give me this and I give you that and this worked. You know, and then we move on from there. Love is long term, long haul. It's getting through the that didn't go so well or I can't stand that you thought that or you did that, but I still love you. I still care about you. And, the, you know, you want to be with somebody who cares about you and accepts your flaws and your mistakes. Because conflict does not mean the end of a relationship. Oh, absolutely not. That's what you learn in this book, honestly, is you do find ways, if you love somebody, to pick yourselves up, say, I'm sorry, apologize truly. And I do think apologizing truly means you have to really feel some remorse Again, that's hard in our culture because we have people in our culture who are trying to say, oh, you should never admit your mistakes. You should never admit when you've done something wrong. Oh, no, that's never going to work at home. You can do that out in the public if you want. I don't think it's healthy, but people do that every day. I do think you have to be able to say, you know, 
I really did miss the boat. I really did screw up. I love also that there is a discussion guide at the end of the book for couples who read it, book groups who read it. The book is Cupid on Trial. The author is Brian Jory, Ph.D., Barry College, Marietta resident. Brian, thanks for coming and giving us something to think about as we pontificate on love and Valentine's Day this week. Absolutely. And can I add one thing? The city of Lovejoy, there is Lovejoy, Georgia, but people, friends of mine who read the book said, I recognize Marietta, Georgia in this book. And I'm like, of course. Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate talking to you. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.